Veritas Mizzou podcast. Veritas is the college ministry of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. Our greatest hope is to see more and more college students believe that Jesus is more. To get connected, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you're encouraged by this message. So the other day I, I came across a headline that uh, you don't see every day, at least I don't. It, it said this, it said, dead man wins election in city in California. Dead man wins election in city in California. And, and I'll be honest, I didn't read the article. I thought to myself, it's either clickbait or fake news. Uh, or I also thought, you know, even if this really did happen, uh, yeah, sure, I might have some questions. Somehow a dead guy wins an election. Uh, but it doesn't really matter, right? It doesn't really make much of a difference in my life. And so why waste my time? I didn't. I moved on. Uh, from the article anyways, not exactly those two questions, because those two questions, the, the did it happen and does it matter, those two questions kind of stuck with me. And the more that I've been thinking about those two questions, the, the more that I realize they're connected to something, two questions, the two exact questions that I think millions of people around the world are going to start talking about, if not already, going to start talking about this week and next. And that's because at the end of next week, those same millions of people around the world, Christians in general, are going to celebrate something that for 2,000 years we've been claiming is true. That a man named Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, that on the third day he rose from the grave. And so, so we've, we've, I lost my place, I lost my train of thought. Here we go, speaking is hard. Just kidding. You can laugh at me. It's all right. It happens. I'm going to look at my notes. Uh, Rose from the grave. Okay, so here's, here's what I was trying to get to. Matthew's gospel. Matthew 28. So we've been talking about Easter. Matthew 28, picking up in verse 1. After the Sabbath, at, the, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him, they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he's risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you'll see him. Now I've told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. So this angel of the Lord says to, to these people, to these women, Jesus is risen. Jesus is risen. Which, of course leaves us asking a couple questions. Did it happen? Does it matter? Does it really make a difference in our life? See, it's a Tuesday night, you're inside of a church. I know that a lot of you here would say undoubtedly yes and yes. Yes, it happened. Yes, it matters. 
But I also know that there's some of you in here tonight, you've come with a friend, someone dragged you along, you didn't have anything better to do, you're not so sure. You're not so sure that, that, that a guy really died and, and he really rose from the grave and, and, and he's God and all that, you're not, you're not exactly sold. And then I know that there are also some of you that would say, yeah, it happened. You're convinced that the resurrection really did happen, but you're not living like it really did. Your life doesn't look much different than the people around you that don't believe it at all. That was for sure true of, of me, especially in high school. I called myself a Christian. I, I went to church. I was active in ministries, young life, but, but outside of doing those things, not so much. My life didn't look much like I was a Christian at all. You see, my life didn't look much different than my friends around me who, who didn't believe in Jesus. You name it, and I did it. And most of what I was doing in high school had nothing to do with Jesus. If you haven't figured out yet, we're, we're hitting a pause on our Beatitudes series just for tonight because I want to talk about the resurrection. With Easter coming up, I thought it would be a good place to stop and pause and talk about the resurrection. And I'll be honest, my goal is, is really simple tonight. It's really simple. I want to ask and I want to answer those two questions. Did it happen? Does it matter? Now, spoiler alert, and I think, again, a lot of you know this, what, what the Bible says, how the Bible answers those two questions when we understand what the Bible says, when we understand how the Bible answers, well, it changes everything about us. It changes everything about us, not just us, it changes everything about our lives too. And so let's ask those questions. Did it really happen? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? How do we know? One of the things that I hear college students all the time say, I've, I've been working with college students for a long time, and, and, and they say all the time to me, I, I hear things like, you know, to believe in Christianity, at some point, um, what you really have to do is you just got to take a blind leap of faith, right? Maybe you've heard that, maybe you've said that, you've, you've got to kind of let go and let God, Jesus take the wheel, no college student says Jesus take the wheel, but you get the idea, right? It's this idea that to believe in Jesus, we've got to set intellect aside, to believe that, that Jesus really was who he says he was, that, that Jesus really did the things that he claimed to have done, that, that Jesus really is God, that, that we, we've, we've got to set reason and intellect aside, and we've just got to have to take a blind leap. We've just got to have faith. We've just got to trust. Now, of course, we do have to have faith. We do have to have trust. We do have to have belief. But some say, don't understand, just believe, right? Don't, not sure how he did it, just believe. Does it make sense? Just believe. Just take a blind leap of faith. Now, of course, to outsiders of Christianity, that makes us look a little bit silly, doesn't it? I mean, we, we say things like that, and, and people are saying, it's 2021. How could you possibly believe that? How could you possibly believe something so silly? Anyone ever said that to you before? How, how could you possibly believe that? You, you really think that Jesus did, you, you think that Jesus actually did that thing? Maybe something like that, someone said something to you like that before? If you're a Christian and not, then, then maybe it's, if someone hasn't said that to you, maybe it's because you're not actually following Jesus. Or, or maybe it's just that the people around you are mostly Christians, and so saying these kinds of things about Jesus and Christianity, it, it's not that shocking. But, but to the outside world, Jesus has always seemed like foolishness. Jesus has always seemed like foolishness to the outside world. Take Festus, for example. Festus was a first century Roman governor. 
And there's a point in uh, the Apostle Paul's life, the, the, one of the guys that wrote a lot of the New Testament, right? Paul gets arrested, and, and he's on trial. He's standing before King Agrippa, and he's standing before this Roman governor named Festus. And, and one of the things that Paul does as he's defending himself, as he's making his case, he starts talking about Jesus' resurrection. And what's interesting is as he does it, Festus interrupts him and starts shouting at him. And he says this in Acts 26, verse 24. He says, you are out of your mind, Paul. Your learning, your great learning is driving you insane. You're out of your mind, Paul. Your learning is driving you insane. How could you possibly believe something like that? It's insane. Except not for Paul. And not just because Paul is closing his eyes and saying, Jesus, take the wheel. Not because he's just taking some blind leap of faith. No, he says the very next verse, this is what Paul says. He says, I am not insane, most excellent Festus. He goes on to say, what I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king, King Agrippa, he's familiar with these things. And I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it's not done in a corner. In other words, what Paul is saying is that belief in Jesus' resurrection is not a blind leap of faith. It's, it's true, but it's reasonable. It's rational. There's plausible evidence, Paul says, for his belief. And he goes on to say that evidence, it's, it's not hidden. It's not you know, shoved away in a corner. It's not swept under a rug. It's not private. No, it's out in the public. He says, King Agrippa, you know, you've seen. It's, it's out for everybody to see. And you know it. And what is that evidence? What is the evidence for Jesus' resurrection? Well, to be honest, there's a ton. And we don't have nearly enough time to talk about it. So I'm just going to summarize a few quick things. A few quick things. How do we know that it really happened? This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Picking up at verse 1. He says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. For what I received, I passed on to you as a first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles. Last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. So two things I want us to notice. First, Paul says that Christ died and then was buried. Now, that's redundant, right? Why, why, why need to say that Christ died and then he was buried? Dead people get buried. Why, why say both of those things? Well, I think what Paul's doing is he's trying to tell us that this thing really happened. Jesus really did die. Jesus really was buried. And that's important because people have historically said all sorts of things about Jesus' death and resurrection. They, they say that it's a hoax. It's a, it's a conspiracy theory, right? Lately, it seems like uh, people are kind of jumping on the legend bandwagon, right? It's a legend. It's, it's not meant to be physical, literal, historical. No, it's meant to be spiritual, right? There's a spiritual message and a metaphorical resurrection. Jesus didn't actually resurrect, but he spiritually did. And so, you know, we can get a good spiritual story from it. Paul says, no, 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 it's history. It happened. Jesus died. He was buried. And we know from the Gospels, we read in Matthew 28, that the tomb is empty. Jesus' body isn't there. Now, what's interesting about that is that is a fact that is widely accepted, widely accepted by scholars that, that don't believe in the resurrection. 
It's a widely accepted fact that the tomb that Jesus was buried in was empty when people went to find him. Even scholars that don't believe in the resurrection would say, yes, the tomb is empty, which means it's a reality that every single one of us has to deal with. Why was the tomb empty? Why was the tomb empty? Well, according to the Bible, the, the, the tomb was empty because Jesus really rose from the dead. But an empty tomb, that's not the only evidence we have. It's just some of it because Paul goes on and he says, we've got something else. He says that, that when Jesus rose, what? He appeared. Who did he appear to? All sorts of different people, right? Many different people, many different places, many different times, sometimes individuals, sometimes groups of people, men, women, hundreds of people at a time. Paul goes on to say, most of whom, some have fallen asleep, some have died, but most of those hundreds of people that Jesus has appeared to, most of them are still alive. Why does that matter? Because Paul is saying in this very public document, right, this letter to the Corinthian church that's circulated, that, that people can see and read and hear and talk about, Paul's saying these people are still alive. You can go and ask them. Go and ask them. Investigate, ask questions, see what they say. See what these witnesses have to say about these claims that I'm making. And by the way, who were some of these witnesses? You know this, right? Some of the earliest witnesses of, of Jesus' resurrection, the Gospels tell us, were women. Now, why is that a thing? Well, because women in the first century, they unfortunately had little to no credibility, right? Their testimony wasn't trusted. In a court of law, they couldn't even present evidence. And so here's a question. Why would you list someone who had no credibility? Why would you, if you're lying, why would you have a woman or women be some of the first eyewitnesses to the resurrected Jesus if, if you're trying to make up and spread a lie? Well, the obvious answer is that you wouldn't. No rational person if they're trying to propagate a lie, would say, yeah, here's the person that Jesus appeared to. Here are the people that Jesus appeared to. The, the obvious answer is that Jesus really did rise from the dead. You wouldn't put women at the tomb seeing the resurrected Jesus if it didn't really happen. Tim Keller, uh, you probably know, uh, past, former pastor in New York City. He's written a lot of books, great books. He recently wrote in a book, uh, Hope in Times of Fear. He says this, uh, kind of on, on these topics. He says, we're left with two hard-to-refute facts. The tomb was empty. Hundreds of people claimed to have seen the risen Christ. If we had only the empty tomb, he says, then we could possibly claim, as some do, the body was stolen. If we had only testimonies, we could say they had to be fantasies. And he goes on to say, but, but we have both. We have both of those things. We have an empty tomb, and we have Jesus appearing to hundreds of people at different times and different places. And so what that means, it means that to deny the historical, bodily, physical resurrection of Jesus, it means you have to come up with a legitimate alternative explanation for those two facts. And here's the thing. In 2,000 years, that hasn't happened. In 2,000 years, a legitimate alternative explanation to those two facts, among many others, has not been presented. See, the tomb was empty because Jesus really did rise from the grave. He didn't stay dead. It's reasonable. It's not a leap of faith. 
it's reasonable for us to conclude that Jesus actually rose, as the Gospels tell us, as the Bible teaches, on the third day. But here's the thing. We can't just stop at, did it happen? Yes, it happened, but we can't stop there. We've got to ask, what does that mean? In other words, what does that have to do with my life? What difference does Jesus' resurrection actually make in our lives? That's a question uh, several years ago now that some of our staff here at The Crossing, we walked around downtown and asked that question and and filmed people's responses. Uh, Let's watch. to it or if we like had proof or like what is the fact that he rose from the Christ rose from the dead absolutely how you live your life today no not really no No. probably not i don't know i don't even know how to start it (laughs) you should ask this guy about that stuff actually Uh, probably not i do believe in god and i'm actually a reverend just not a practicing one uh personally i live my life just normally i don't think about religion or having religion dictate my life Believing in Jesus and believing that he rose from the dead really shapes who I am and the decisions I make because I consider myself a Christian. I believe in Jesus. Like He died for our salvation. He rose, and that's what Easter's all about. It definitely has an impact. Well, actually, no. I disagree with that because I try to be the best person I can be every day. I think it doesn't really matter to me. You know, you get the message from it whether it actually, you know, physically happened in history or not, um, and people will choose to believe it, whether, you know, whether or not it actually happened. So for me, it doesn't change anything. It kind of has changed how I live my life. Um, It gives more purpose and more direction to how I sort of decide to go about my business. It would probably cement my beliefs. I'm mostly belief in in things that are greater than me, but I'm not too sure. So I'll let the rest of my life figure that out. So if he rose, it would cement the thing. I I would hope that it affects the way I live my life every single day. I've studied a lot about it, actually, and uh, I believe I'm doing a pretty good job. I mean, I could be a good person on my own, so really wouldn't, but some people need that, which I understand, but personally. Now, you might disagree with some of those responses, but at least we can appreciate the honesty, right? I mean, it's cringy in parts, but it's also honest, and I appreciate that. Speaking of honest, uh, I was talking to a guy the other day, not a Christian, uh, and we were talking about these kinds of things, and, and I said, you know, why, why not? Why, why wouldn't you call yourself a Christian? He says, here's the deal. Part of why I'm not a Christian is because when I read the Bible, it's just too offensive to me. He said, it, it, you know, there, there are so many things in the Bible that I just find offensive. They, 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 they offend my modern, modern sensibilities, things that are they're too hard. They, they make me too uncomfortable. And, and, and so he said, you know, so I, I can't believe. I'm, I won't believe. I'm not going to believe. It's, it's, Jesus at times is too offensive for me. Now, that's, that's not also a new idea, Right? I hear that quite a bit. I I used to kind of think that. And and on the one hand, I really do get it. I mean, I empathize with that because the Bible does say some hard things, doesn't it? I mean, it challenges us. It it forces us to, to wrestle with some pretty uncomfortable things at times. 
We did a whole sermon series a few semesters ago called The Uncomfortable. Following Jesus, it's often hard. If you've been following Jesus for any amount of time, you know that following Jesus is hard. And to be honest, if following Jesus isn't hard for you, then maybe you aren't actually following Jesus. Following Jesus is tough. And it, sometimes the Bible says things that are offensive to us. But again, this isn't, this isn't a modern idea. It's not a, it's not a new thing, right? The Bible's been doing that forever. Now, you've heard this. Thomas Jefferson he used to take a knife and he'd cut things out, things, parts of the Bible, th- ideas about Jesus, things that, that he didn't like, things that seemed too over the top, too, too offensive. You ever do that? Not physically, right? Like, I hope you're not taking a knife to your Bible. But, like, metaphorically. Like, do you ever cut parts out? How do we do that? Maybe we just skip parts of the Bible that we don't really like. We skip over sections that, that are too hard for us. We, we you know, there, there are parts of Jesus' teaching, parts of the Bible that, that we don't really want to deal with because they challenge us. They challenge the things that we think. They challenge the things that we want. They challenge the ways that we're living. We all do that. I do that. You do that. We all do that at various times. But going back to that guy, I, I couldn't, he's I mean, saying these things, I couldn't help but, but think and ask these questions. Does being offensive, does that mean it's untrue? Just because it's offensive, does that mean it's untrue? Does being hard mean that you shouldn't believe? You see, Jesus might be a challenge to you, but, but does that mean that he's not who he says he is? Does that mean that Jesus isn't who he says he is? Why am I saying this? Well, because you know who else was offended by Jesus? The same guy that we read earlier say that belief in Jesus' resurrection is reasonable and true. This is what Paul in Acts 26 says. This is how he describes his life at one point. He says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This is what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. When they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I hunted them down in foreign cities. See, however offended you are by Jesus, I want you to know that Paul was offended far more than you. Far more. So much so that he put Christians in prison. He punished them, forced them to blaspheme, persecuted them, hunted them down, cast his vote for them to die. Paul was a part of Christians dying for their faith. That's how offensive Jesus was to Paul. What changed? The resurrection. Paul encounters the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus, and when Paul realized that Jesus had been raised from the dead, It didn't matter what offended him anymore because he realized that Jesus was really who he said he was. Jesus was really who he said he was. And so here's the deal. If Jesus really rose from the dead, then we've got to accept all that he says to us. Not just the parts that we like. Not just the parts that are easy. Not just the parts that that do or don't offend us. See, either Jesus rose from the dead or he didn't. And how we answer that question, it really matters. How so? Lots of things that we could say. I'm just going to say a few. 
Here are three quick things that I think, three differences that I think Jesus will make in your life, making, is making in your life, my life. The first, and I suppose this is the most obvious, but I can't not say it. It means that Christianity is true. It means if Jesus really rose from the dead, it means Jesus really is who he said he is, and it means Christianity is true. Now, that might sound super obvious, but I know not everybody in this room believes that. And that's okay. I'm glad you're here. If you don't believe, I'm glad you're here. Because here's the thing. If Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, you shouldn't believe. You, you shouldn't believe that Jesus is who he says he is if he didn't rise from the dead. Here's what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we've testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then those, who, uh, those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If, for on, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people. Of all people, Paul says, we are most to be pitied. See, if Jesus didn't walk out of a tomb, if his bones are rotting somewhere, you know, I feel like every year at Easter, some, some study or something comes out, right? Found Jesus' bones, right? If that's true, if that ever actually happens, then we should all go home. Why, why do any of this? Don't come here, don't worship, don't read your Bible. Don't Pity us, mock us, laugh at us. Because if that's true, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then everything the Bible says about Jesus is a lie. Your faith is futile, you're still in your sins. Go home, don't come back, if that's the case. But according to Paul, it's not. Very next verse. Verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Christ really did rise from the dead. Jesus, back in John chapter 11, verse 25, he says this. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die and whoever believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do we believe that? See, if Jesus rose from the dead, and I believe that he did, then it means that we've got to accept all that he said. Christianity is true. Jesus really is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, I know some of you have doubts. That's okay. It's okay to have, to hear me say that. That's okay to have doubts. Now, I'm not saying have doubts for doubt's sake. Some of us are bent, we're cynical, and we want to doubt just to doubt. I just don't. But it's okay to have doubts. It's okay to have questions, right? We don't have to pretend like we've got this all figured out. It's okay to be in process. One of Jesus' closest friends, you know, Thomas, one of the biggest Doubters in the Bible. He becomes one of the biggest believers in Jesus. But Thomas, he didn't hide his doubts. He didn't pretend that they didn't exist. He didn't try and keep them to himself. No, he brought them to Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He changed his life. Thomas says, my Lord, my Savior, my God. See, I don't know what your doubts are, but I'm, I want to invite you. Bring them to Jesus. Hear me tell you, it's okay 
to not have it all figured out. It's okay to have doubts. Bring those things to Jesus because I think that Jesus will do the same in your life too. I think Jesus will take your doubts and I think he'll turn them into belief. Jesus' resurrection means that Christianity is, is true, but it also means that forgiveness, second, is real. Forgiveness is real. Esau McCauley, he's a professor at Wheaton. He wrote a great book, uh, highly recommend, called Reading While Black. But he says this in this book. He says this. He says, without the resurrection, the forgiveness embedded in the cross is the wistful dream of a pious fool. But I'm convinced that the Messiah has defeated death. I can forgive my enemies because I believe the resurrection happened. I'm convinced the God who had the power to judge me did not. See, Jesus' resurrection, it means that, that you and I can have real forgiveness for our sins, that we can actually be reconciled to God. We were his enemies, but we can be reconciled to God in spite of our sin. Jesus offers that forgiveness. Whatever you've done, whatever you did last weekend, whatever you're about to do this coming weekend, whatever you're gonna do over spring break, Jesus is offering forgiveness on the basis of his death and resurrection. Because of that, we can actually be reconciled to God, called his children, heirs of his kingdom. And even more, because we've been forgiven, we can and we should offer real forgiveness to others when they sin against us, when they, when they wrong us. See, if Jesus can do that for us, and I say can, but, but really it's that he wants to. Jesus wants to forgive you. Jesus wants to forgive me. Jesus wants to forgive us. If he can want, or if he can and wants to do that for us, then we should do the same for other people. We should do the same for other people. We should want to do the same for other people. What sins right now in your life do you need to turn from and turn to Jesus? To ask for Jesus' forgiveness. Think about that. What, what's going on in your life? If you're real honest right now, Jesus, I need to repent of this thing. Maybe nobody knows about it. Maybe everybody knows about it. I need to turn away from it and turn to you. Who have you wronged lately? Who do you need to ask forgiveness from? It's hard to ask for forgiveness, isn't it? It's hard. Who do you need to forgive? Sometimes that's harder. See, the resurrection matters because it means that forgiveness is real. But it also means, third, and we sung about this and Kate talked wonderfully about this earlier, it means that our hope is certain. Our hope is certain. It's a well-known passage, Revelation 21. I know you guys know this. We're going to read it again. It's so great. John says this, then I saw, this is the end, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. 
That's Jesus' promise. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. See, Jesus' resurrection, it doesn't promise that everything about your life is going to go well. It doesn't mean that everything in your life is going to be smooth. It doesn't mean everything in your life following him is going to be peachy clean. It's not going to be comfortable all the time. But what it does mean, what the resurrection does do, is it gives us a hope that over time we can be transformed into people that can handle the things that come to us because Jesus is with us. Jesus is with us. There's hope, hope for you, hope for your relationships, hope for justice, hope in the midst of pain and suffering. Some of you are going through some tremendously difficult things. There's hope. There's hope for the future. Why? Because of the resurrection. Because Jesus didn't stay dead. Rick Warren, he's a pastor of Saddleback Church. He's written a book maybe you're familiar with, A Purpose-Driven Life. Uh, you might not know this, but a few years ago, he and his wife lost their uh, 27-year-old son. He took his own life. He'd been struggling with mental illness and depression uh, for several years. So devastating tragedy. And, and about a year after this happened, he's, he's doing interviews. He's talking to people about it. And he says, you know, as you can imagine, people ask all the time, how do you get through it? How do you do with it? I can't imagine. We can't imagine. Right? How do you get through it? How do you keep going in the midst of pain? I can't imagine that. Here's what he said. I think it's so good. He starts and says, Easter. That's how you get through it, Easter. You see, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus happened over three days. Friday was the day of suffering and pain and agony. Saturday was the day of doubt and confusion and misery. But Easter, that Sunday, that was a day of hope and joy and victory. And he went on to say, and here's the fact of life. This is true for you and me too. You will face these three days, over and over and over in your lifetime. And when you do, you'll find yourself asking, as I did, three fundamental questions. Number one, what do I do in my days of pain? Two, how do I get through my days of doubt and confusion? Three, how do I get to the days of joy and victory? The answer is Easter. The answer is Easter. See, whatever you're going through, whatever you will go through, whatever you have gone through, Jesus' resurrection means that our hope is certain. Music team, go ahead and come back. I know, I know, I know, I should have said this up front. I know that what I'm saying, a lot of what I'm saying is not new. I know that. I'm not trying to be novel. I'm not trying, you know, this is not the newest idea. This is probably not, you know, like you've grown up around church. Probably you've heard this a thousand times. I, I get that. But I also know that even though it's not new to a lot of us that we think these things are true, I, I know a lot of those same people, we're living like it's not true. We, we say we believe, and yet our lives, we struggle. We struggle with that. We say we believe, but we live kind of like it's actually not true, like Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. So the reason we're talking about this tonight, I just want to leave you. I just want to leave you asking yourself, think to yourself, what difference, what difference is Jesus' resurrection making in your life right now? What difference 
does the fact that Jesus really did walk out of that grave, what difference is that making in your life? Does it make a difference? If not, what needs to change? Maybe invite someone into that. Risk a little vulnerability. Share with them what's going on. Better yet, tell Jesus himself. Tell him what's going on. You see, to the extent that the future is true and real to you, it changes. It really changes how you live right now. Jesus really did rise from the dead, and because he did, Christianity is true. Forgiveness is real, and our hope is certain. Thanks for listening to the Veritas Mizzou podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, please be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps other people find our content so that they can be encouraged too. Most importantly, to get connected to Veritas, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for listening.